your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right. Welcome to a Friday. This is a Friday where this song seems appropriate. Yeah. Some days, Friday, I feel like it's like I want to be more upbeat, but this is like <laughs> the day after the January 6th commission. Yeah. yeah. That's UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. I had Joe Heim on here yesterday. I asked him, yeah. you know, if you, all you political science junkies, I guess I would be. No, I'm not political science. So if you guys all would get together, crack over, crack open a keg or not crack open a keg, whatever you do with a keg, uh, chips, beer, brats, grill out, put a, because outside the Capitol last night, they had a big screen, right? That was, yeah. I don't know what capital that was. I just imagine that was DC, but that was kind of weird. Yeah. It's, it's weird sitting outside of the Capitol, watching the hearings and watching footage of that building being stormed. (laughs) It's like, oh, there's the building where the riot that I'm watching took place. 608-785-7914. I wanted... We've done this in the past where I have the political science... I have you on, the political science professor, right? And something major happens, and then we just don't talk about it at all. (laughs) And... January 6th, we def- we had Ron Kind on. Or you weren't here that Friday, but obviously, I'm pretty sure we talked about January 6th, the, the yeah. Friday after. I can't remember the day that something happened and we ignored it, but I remember... I do, yeah. I remember, remember the, in, the the thing in politics that happened and we just kind of... It was something Joe biden or Yeah, I yeah. Gosh, oh, it's that's going to bother me. I, I'll, I'll remember it by the end of the show. Yeah, like at 6.01, you'll remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to text in here, I think I see the number, but 608-785-7914. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll talk about the January 6th commission, but it's a it's a heavy Wisconsin Friday news dump. I don't know what other states are like. I should go follow like the AP. Obviously, Michigan's got a kind of an interesting dilemma right now. One of its yeah. governor candidates, right, was arrested by the FBI, I think. Yeah, one of them was arrested by the FBI for his role in, speaking of which, January 6th. It all comes together. Apparently, he was sort of waving people into the Capitol and sort of saying, hey, come on in. Let's all rush the Capitol. And in addition, you have three candidates and they're, they're on the Republican side because it's a Democratic incumbent governor that they're trying to run against, you have a situation where three candidates for governor are now off the ballot disqualified because they had fraudulent signatures that they used in their petitions that you have to collect to qualify for the ballot. I mean, that just came up here in Wisconsin with Tim Michaels. Yeah, and the irony there, though, too, also those candidates are calling for election fraud, right? Like with the 2020, like they're doing all, all, every candidate, it seems like, is doing that. So while they're they're claiming election fraud in the 2020 election, they're also doing the election fraud. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's really strange because now you might have the Republicans having to run a write-in candidate for governor in Michigan because it's such a mess for them. And you have a situation there where the Republicans should have a pretty decent chance of winning that election, just like the Republicans in Wisconsin probably have a pretty decent chance of winning the gubernatorial race here. Republicans like latch on to that, right? If their candidates are kicked off the ballot, are they kicked off the ballot because of fraudulent 
uh, the signatures, signatures to qualify. Right. Yeah. Right. If you're a Republican there, you just go, oh, OK, so the Democrats are running the elections commission that are there in Michigan and they're kicking our candidates off the ballot and letting the, the Democrat candidate candidates stay on the ballot, even though they probably too have fraudulent signatures. Well, hey, I mean, here in Wisconsin, we did have a unanimous ruling by the bipartisan Wisconsin Elections Commission saying that Tim Michaels can remain on the ballot. He had been challenged by the Democratic Party over this address that he had listed on some of his petitions. To run for governor, you have to get 2,000 signatures. And there's some question about if he had the right address on his signatures. And yeah, they ruled that he did, but it was a situation where the Republicans and Democrats alike. So no conspiracy, right? I mean, it's just something that everyone agreed on. Now, I strongly predict that this is going to get tied up in court, like most things Wisconsin elections do. But did he have the right address? But maybe he perhaps used the wrong state because he's technically living in another state and claiming he's from Wisconsin or living in Wisconsin. That's the thing about (laughs) Tim Michaels is that he, you know, it's not clear how much time he actually spends in Wisconsin. I bet that's going to be fodder for campaign advertisements and attacks against him. But you know, it just it, it, it's like, how do you define mailing address? I mean, that's sort of like the weird stuff that elections legal people get. I mean, we see on. we see quite higher up government officials because somehow they're all millionaires. Right. Not all of them, but uh, where they're they have a house, you know, in one state and that's where they vote. But they actually live in the other state all the time because it's way nicer. I can't th- I can't think of a pretty high up government official. And it was like. Yeah, dude, you definitely don't live there. It was his wife even kind of testi- testified in the fact that he's never there or neighbors or something like that. I wish I could remember. Um, I don't have a big problem with, oops, I forgot something on the ballot that's pretty minor. Like, oh, I didn't put the right zip code or something like that. But sure. the irony with Tim Michaels and addresses is if you forgot the zip code, it's because he had to memorize it going in <laughs> or he had it on a piece of paper and maybe couldn't read it right because he doesn't actually live there. He doesn't have that that address in Wisconsin memorized because he lives somewhere else. We all kind of figure that, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, Rick, I I think the big question that his Republican opponents are going to key in on and that Tony Evers will key in on if he is the nominee, if Michaels does get the Republican nominee nomination is just how much time does Michaels spend in Wisconsin? Is he really a resident here in the conventional sense of the word resident it's a weird thing too like it's a weird thing to latch on and he doesn't even live here he doesn't know the problems with wisconsin and it's like i don't know do you do you like how how big of a thing would that be to, a sticking point to getting to getting him to lose it to lose an election like he, do, well, he lives somewhere else you know uh, that that label of carpetbagger or you know you're just moving here so you can run in the race for governor you know that type of thing has been effective in some elections in the past okay but it is going to take more than that for the candidates to beat tim michaels i view him as the front runner for sure in the republican primary election because of his endorsement from Donald Trump. I just feel like the world's changed, right? Like the internet's changed the world. If you want to go very basic and we all can experience everything everywhere at any time, we just have to go online and look at, you know, I was, there's a, there's a story on plastic waste from the, the interior is going to ban plastic waste, the U S interior by 2032. They're going to, Oh no, they're going to ban, ban single use plastics. They're going to phase them out 
over the next decade. Over so they a have decade. a decade. They like, got a decade. Gave it those plenty of time. Right. Yeah. So so I was looking up plastic waste pictures, you know, and then I was like, oh, we're here and we're in this country. And so we can experience any part of the world any way we want at any point in time. So if you say, I don't actually live here, well, I mean, you can you can kind of experience what it's like. And Rick, you know what happens? The next president comes into office and reverses that plan prior to 2032 yeah. and then it never happens yeah then it, yeah because yeah exactly 2032 it's so stupid Come like on. how hard is it to get rid of single-use plastics on your your public lands doesn't seem that hard uh we'll get eric here quick before we go to break eric go ahead you're on the air with dr chagoski i was wondering what are your positions on the second amendment about the age requirement for 2018 to 21 do you have any opinion on that all right what's the, like okay i don't care about your opinion per se but mm-hmm. What's the political talking point here? Is it a winning thing for Democrats? Is it a winning making uh, rifles, long guns, right? Sure. Uh, semi-automatic, uh, the the quote unquote cool guns uh, illegal. Let's we'll, we'll talk about that. Let's talk about that when we come back. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. Eric Rosberta called. Let's just do this real quick. Uh, um, age requirement for buying long guns, mm-hmm. winning. Political for is that a winning point for Democrats, Republicans, both, and that's why we do it. I I think it probably is a winning point for Democrats. It most likely is something that the public would support. But the question is, would the Republican base go along with this? And that's what is on the mind of senators as they're negotiating a deal. It might come together by the end of this weekend, a deal on guns in the Senate. It might take until next week. I think what they're going to do is to increase the uh, is to increase the waiting time length for people 18, 19 and 20. If we want to do if Democrats want to do what Republicans do in the Senate. And Republicans want to pass some gun legislation. I understand that most Democrats are going to, we only need 10, right? Like 10 Republicans. Right. And maybe, do you, any do, any idea, like, are we going to get a, like an 80 vote for some kind of, you know what I mean? It, it, it could that happen. used to happen. Yeah. We used to get 80, 90 unanimous votes on stuff. Yeah, I mean, like in the past, really modest gun control could get 70 or 80 votes, but the parties have become very entrenched on this issue, and it has taken on a very different tone than in the past. I mean, you have, frankly, Rick, I mean, a big part of this is that gun ownership and gun sales and just the amount of guns out there has grown tremendously over the past 20 years or so. And that makes it difficult to regulate guns, given just the sheer amount of them out there. If Democrats want to do do something, they the and and the Republicans in the Senate, let's just say they're they're all for it, and it's going to be like a all fifty senators on the Republican side, or, mm-hmm. or a vast majority of them are like, yes, we'll do this gun reform. Uh, if Democrats want to do what Republicans do with everything, then they say, no, we're not going to sign that. We're actually not going to sign any gun legislation. And then we'll go into the 2022 election and say you did nothing on gun reform. You let 19 kids die in Texas and did nothing. So the the Democratic plan, apparently, based on what I'm reading, is to try to have their cake and eat it, too, to pass pass what they consider to be extremely modest legislation. Yeah. Like, we'll increase the age requirements here and there. We'll, for certain guns. Yeah. For certain guns. Or maybe we won't even increase the age to own something. We'll just increase 
the waiting period for younger people. We'll make stricter background checks for younger people, but we won't ban them from owning whatever it is. And then maybe you do something on red flag laws, which might enable people to have, you know, to if someone indicates that they're a threat to themselves or others to have their weapons temporarily taken away by a judge, that might be something that's on the table. And throw some door legislation in there. You know, door control legislation. That might be on the table to have, you know, also things, uh, I mean, things related to like school security. I mean, that's going to be, I mean, we're, we're trying to arm the teachers. Are we also arming nurses, doctors, pastors? Where else have we had shootings lately? We got to arm all those grocery store, Yeah, grocery store, clerks, uh, cashiers. We have to arm all these people. So is that going to be part of the, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like how much of this is going to be focused on schools and how much of this is going to be focused on guns more broadly? Why haven't we seen this from Republicans? And maybe I just haven't seen it. All these shootings are happening all over the place, Mm -hmm. right? What have we gotten? This is Joe Biden's America yet. Well, certainly in terms of the crime rate, but in terms of the blame for what is causing that crime, well, that's where we get quite a difference of opinion between the two parties. But crime is absolutely up, and it is up to a troubling extent, and that is going to be a major part of Republican campaigns. In fact, I saw a study recently that looked at all ads to date that mention crime, and nine out of ten of those ads are Republican ads, ads that mention crime. So Republicans clearly think this is a winning issue. Of course, Democrats are going to talk about the issue in a different way, not so much talking about, like, uh, there's a crime wave in America. They're going to talk about the guns. You know, they're going to talk about it in very different ways. The parties are going to kind of talk past each other. And we're dumbing down what crime is because... Because crime, when you say yeah. crime is up, it's like what crime? Because there's, it's our murders up, or is it like you know petty crime where you're stealing you know baby formula stuff like well, you know well, what I mean? Well, Rick, take San Francisco. They recently had a very high profile election where their district attorney was recalled, recalled meaning removed yeah. from office, yeah. and the national narrative was like, well, it's because there's a huge crime wave in San Francisco. Well, that's sort of true. But murders and stabbings and assaults are not really up. In fact, in some cases, they're down. Yeah, it's it's you, that petty crime, that sort of like quality of life stuff. Yeah. You know, like you know, pump. we've got we've, we're coming out of a pandemic, and people are like a lot of people are struggling. Right? Exactly. It's look, like look at Huska Park here. You, you know, Rick, I, I think that's a really important point. Like when people think about crime. What are they thinking about? Are they thinking about like the so-called like quality of life type crimes where it's like public urination or public drug use or people just, you know, retail theft. Right. We see that a lot of these, that kind of stuff. And uh, that stuff is definitely becoming more and more visible, more and more present. And I think that was a big reason for this election in San Francisco. People were just fed up with the quality of life type crime it wasn't so much you know that there were tons of mass murders in san francisco it's just this general sense of public disorder i think was kind of what was going on there and maybe what is going on in other places as well yeah and we'll we'll see the talking points right if maybe i don't know this was last election but maybe uh maybe republicans will continue the they're trying to defund the police when i think joe biden's actually really funded the police to maybe to some democrats uh discontent 
Um, and then uh, Democrats will come in and say this, right? We're coming out of a pandemic, like people are struggling. Crime is up because people are needing necessities. One is one is way easier to understand than the other. And therefore, another Republican winning talking point, because crime is up, defunding the police. That's the part. That's the problem. So and we've seen Tony Evers, for example, really try to get away from that narrative. But no doubt the issue of crime is going to be a major issue in the Wisconsin elections. I mean, we've seen Ron Johnson really focus on it heavily in his campaign commercials so far. And, you know, it's going to focus on Milwaukee, for for example. I mean, it is the case that murders in Milwaukee are way up, and that is really concerning. But, Rick, like you said, the question is, well, what is causing it, and how do you fix it? And right. that's what we don't really get to in campaigns. Yeah, we never get to that stuff. Uh, Ron Johnson, I think yesterday, also blamed Nancy Pelosi for not arming the Capitol. Well, <laughs> well I mean, we found out in the hearings that Donald Trump did not order the National Guard to protect the Capitol. It was actually Mike Pence who gave that order in his undisclosed location right. when he was whisked away off the Senate floor just, because the QAnon shaman and other people were on their way to the Senate floor. And so Pence was uh, fortunately just at the right moment taken away. And, and then he was like, Hey, we got to get the national guard here. And that's, and that happens after the fact, right after, Oh, bleep. Now we need the national guard. It does. Yep. Um, but I just, I just, because I got this a lot, like, and I think maybe they just heard Ron Johnson and they go, yeah, what's up? Why did Nancy Pelosi arm the Capitol with mm-hmm. more guards? I just want people to think about like Nancy Pelosi. Like we all look at her and just roll our eyes and like, why is she in, like, she's like the oldest looking, whatever. How is she even competent? You know, we do that with a lot of government people, Grassley, Biden, Trump. Um, and just think like Pelosi's sitting at her desk. She'd be like, you know, tomorrow I think we better arm up the, you know, like what? She's going to do some strategy to arm the police and it, like it's up to her. Just so silly. Like it's up to somebody, but it ain't Nancy Pelosi. Like, no, I mean, I think I think this has these January 6th hearings have a lot to do with sorting out who was responsible for what, who dropped the ball, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was quite interesting when you talk about anticipating the threat Apparently, this actually was a pretty well-coordinated effort by extremist groups like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. They definitely were acting like they had a plan. They yeah, had... there were some night meetings in December, nightly meetings uh, yeah. with with officials too, which seemed a little so. Crazy. So maybe what this comes down to is some kind of like intelligence failure, or just not knowing the full extent of the planning, or not anticipating the role that these extremist groups were playing. I'm curious to learn more about that. Yep. That certainly figured heavily into the very well watched hearings last night uh, according to the current uh, the ratings that just came out 20 million people tuned in to the first January 6 hearings it's unbelievable that the government officials didn't anticipate the first capital what riot since yeah. the, the 1800s or something yeah, like no like one would anticipate what <laughs> right. happened i mean come on <laughs> let's point blame um, all right we got to take a break we'll be back All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. 608-785-7914. If you want to get in here, text Dr. Anthony Chagoski's in here. All right, so I did this. I did. I made this mistake again. Get out of here, Harvey. Fade away. 
Uh, I made this mistake again yesterday. So Ron Johnson brings up the Nancy Pelosi didn't secure the Capitol. Mm-hmm. We're 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 changing we're we're changing the narrative, right? Like that's all we're doing here. We got to we're pointing we got to point blame at the Democrats. First of all, it was Black Lives Matter people that were rushing the Capitol, right? Because they've got nothing better to do than try to unelect Joe Biden. Okay, um, changing the narrative. We should be focusing on why those people were at the Capitol to begin with. And and the, the, some revelations of that were, were pretty crazy with the commission hearing last night in that two extremist groups organized this, and they were the ones to breach the Capitol to begin with. They kind of led the sheep into the Capitol. Yeah, and, and you know, we had someone text in saying that last night was theater. And it absolutely was. Political theater, I think. It absolutely was. Not necessarily the truth they added. Well, and and that's when you have to look thoroughly at the evidence that is available. And having looked thoroughly at the evidence, because my curiosity was piqued by the whole focus on the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, those extremist groups, uh, I, I looked into it very carefully and found convincing evidence based on the video evidence based on the legal charges that have been filed and all kinds of investigative documents there is strong evidence that the proud boys and the oath keepers played a central role in january 6th that they not only were kind of scoping the scene out figuring out how they could get involved be engaged in this attack But another key element was that they were egging people on, sort of the broader audience that had gathered in D.C. for this rally. The Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys not only were ready for a fight, they definitely were. Yeah, notice how many people are wearing backpacks. Exactly. How many many of you go anywhere with a backpack on? I mean, if I'm going to play basketball, I go bring my backpack. But other than that, I don't want to wear a backpack. Well, they, I mean, they had tear gas. They had bulletproof vests. They were fixing for a battle. And they were also very effective at riling up the crowd and getting the crowd into a kind of mania yeah. where everyone wanted to rush forward. Yeah, and I, let's all store. Let's all go in. And they were really good. I mean, they had, get a, a, they had a really shrewd understanding of the crowd, I think. Yeah, you get a couple hundred people in your group. And you yeah. organize it and you go, this is what we're going to do. We're going to breach the, the gates mm-hmm. or the doors or the windows or whatever. And if there's a hundred of them yep. and they're ahead of, ahead of the line, you as just, you know, I don't know, quote unquote, everyday citizen that goes to a Trump rally and then goes to march on the Capitol. You, you, your president is at a rally down the street. You're going to go see that. You're in D.C. It's cool, right? Sure. And then he's talking about stopping this thing. He's literally there talking about that and how disappointed he will be. And then he tells you to go march on the Capitol. He doesn't tell you to go in the Capitol, really, but right. you go as just a regular, you or I would go to see the president, and mm-hmm. that's my president, and that's cool, and I'm going to go to the Capitol. Wow, there's there's a, I'm going to go there. And then when a couple hundred people in these extremist groups, a hundred people, like a couple hundred and different. That, you know, Rick, from what I heard uh, reviewing the evidence, it was about 350 Proud Boys. I'm not sure how many Oath Keepers right. were there, but we're talking several hundred members of these extremist yeah. groups. So when they breach the lines and head to the Capitol and you're like, well, they're doing it. So I guess I'll do it, too. That's like everybody's doing it. I'm going to do it, too. Like, I would do that. I would probably do it, too. Yeah. The extremist groups obviously did not have the numbers to themselves take 
over the capital. But they understood how they could create chaos, how they could create a situation where people might not be thinking about what they're doing. And then they're hidden amongst the rest of the people right. trying to do whatever it is they were. You know, at one point, they were tr- the dude even said they were, tr- they were looking for Nancy Pelosi for yeah. whatever, you know, wh- whatever the outcome of all that is, is weird. Like, what did they expect the outcome? Were they just going to murder all those people and therefore Donald Trump's president? I don't I don't understand, like, the the long game there. But apparently, I guess what? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and I think what they were trying to sell in the January 6th committee, and I'm going to have to carefully kind of, again, follow the evidence to see where the evidence leads here. But what they're saying is that January 6th was supposed to be the culmination of a bunch of different efforts to overturn the election result, one of which the failed commi- efforts, right? It was the, it was a culmination or the last resort, if the you will. The last resort, and, and according to the committee, and this is what I'm really anxious for, given the local angle. According to the committee, part of it was those fake electoral votes that were cast, which was something that happened here in Wisconsin. Yeah, that that was part of the broader scheme, according to the committee, of reversing the election outcome. Now, we haven't gotten there yet in terms of the committee's evidence, but because that happened here in Wisconsin, where Joe Biden was declared the winner, but you had people show up in Madison one day to cast electoral votes for Republicans. Yeah, somebody lets them into the state capitol. Somebody... uh essentially steals the documents that would be for Joe Biden and copies them and makes them for Donald Trump somehow. Um, and then are those people also sheep, right? Do they just do that? Cause ah, we're not going to get in trouble. We're just doing, uh, you know, this staging this thing in case, or are they part of a coordinated effort? Did they go along with the thing and didn't really understand that actually uh, the people telling them to do that above them, are actually part of this whole, like, is there a conspiracy here? You know, you really, it's really crazy, right? Like, you could go as crazy as you want. My current theory of the case, and I will be fully transparent here that I haven't seen, that I'm anxious to review the kind of the, the evidence and the documents, but my current guess, my best guess, is that sort of that the people at that upper level were involved in some type of coordinated effort because this happened in multiple states, it happened in Michigan. It happened seven, right? It, seven. It states. happened in Pennsylvania. It happened in some southern states, and so and I, you would say the states that were like Wisconsin, twenty thousand, yeah. twenty one thousand ish votes or whatever yeah. for for Biden over Trump. The pivotal states, yeah. absolutely. So that is something I'm really anxious for uh, when it comes to Wisconsin's role in this, and of course, um, you know, part of part of all of this is the. Ongoing efforts by Michael Gableman, the former Wisconsin State Supreme Court Justice, to review the election, and he was found in contempt of court today. He had a pretty weird court hearing where he was going after the judge in the case, where he was pleading the Fifth Amendment, which says that you don't have to testify if the testimony is going to like incriminate you. <laughs> like you don't have to. Right. Tell on yourself, basically. Yeah. Um, so it was a bizarre court hearing today. With and we should uh, Gableman. We, we should understand he's in court because he's not releasing open records. Yeah. That he's like a, a nonpartisan commission of the in the state has said, hey, you need to release these records. Yeah. Like, yeah. So he was held in contempt of court. Uh, actually, you don't even need to release them. You need to stop deleting the records like you don't get to delete things like 
Uh, yeah. Essentially, when Donald Trump rips up a piece of paper and somebody's behind him, some some lackeys behind him has to gr- gather the crumbs and tape that piece of paper together. And what is it called? Presidential th- those the presidential records records, yeah, right? Yeah, and they have yeah, to yeah. keep all the things that every president touched, yep. which seems really yep. weird, but also like well, Donald Trump's weird thing where he rips pa- pieces of paper up. <laughs> That's Michael Gableman, too, apparently. Yeah, you know, that continues to be an ongoing thing here in Wisconsin. How many times have we re-upped that election, 2020 election investigation? Three? M- multiple times, and it's, yeah. We're, we've hit the million, almost the million-dollar we, mark hit, of taxpayer money. We've hit about the million-dollar mark. It's, it's, it really has no signs of stopping anytime soon. Well, why would Gableman ever want to stop the <laughs> election investigation? He's in the – unless now he could go to jail, right? He's facing jail time. That was part of the thing in court today. <laughs> he, he, was, he was basically – kind of putting on a show in court saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to go to jail for this if I have to, you know, yeah. be, being all defiant and being all dramatic. And, you know, I mean, it's just kind of his style and, and that's okay. I mean, it's, he's getting a pretty good paycheck to keep I, this going. It, exactly. I mean, like it, it's all about what's in his interest as the person leading this investigation. And he's very much attentive to kind of keeping this investigation alive because he kind of sees it in his benefit to keeping the investigation in the 2020 election going. Certainly Assembly Speaker Robin Voss does too uh, because he continues to face pressure from the Republican Party base over the issue of the 2020 election. And, uh, you know, when it comes to Tim Michaels, the front runner who I I think is the front runner for the Republican nomination for governor. I'm, I'm interested to hear what he has to say about the election now that he has been endorsed by former President well, Trump. When you 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 get itchy when you want because you you say I think he's the front runner, but when Donald Trump endorses you in this race, in this you race, front. you you're you're the front runner. Yep. It, it could be close, be, be be you know with Clayfish right behind him. Yep. But Donald Trump made him. A little bit further, for, for sure, and we saw, especially in this state, and we saw the effect of that right away because Tim Michaels immediately comes out with an ad about illegal immigration, which is Donald Trump's signature issue. Does Donald Trump endorse anybody in any state, and then they don't become the front runner? Yeah, like, is it that ca- has if, happened because you talk about a GOP yep. primary, it's yep. Republican, and but he's not the front runner. That has happened where Donald Trump does has, it have to be somebody with like yeah. child pedophilia in their back in their immediate background? He, you know that uh, he because that has also happened, right? He he, he endorsed <laughs> he endorsed some someone who uh, had to drop out because he was like a you know spouse abuser or something like that. Okay. I, I think that happened in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, you know the Trump endorsement matters a lot. I mean, in many ways, that is. One of the weird aspects of the January 6th hearings, because we're listening to this evidence presented against Donald Trump on one hand. And then on the other hand, the Donald Trump endorsement is viewed as really pivotal in a Republican primary, such as the primary election for governor of Wisconsin and Tim Michaels. Yeah. So it's a really jarring contrast. It's head spinning. It, it is. And now, and we, we heard, you know, Ivanka Trump, she was part of a testimony. Like they, they interviewed yeah. her, the commission. Yep. And then uh, I don't remember exactly what she said, but I know Donald Trump threw her, threw her under the bus today. Yeah. So Bill Barr, the former attorney general for Donald Trump was a key element of the January 6th committee hearing where he said that it was BS that the election was stolen. Uh, 
Bill Barr said that Donald Trump was incorrect to say that the election was stolen. He said that there was no evidence of voter fraud and at least not enough to turn the outcome of the election. And so, you know, Bill Barr just roundly and straight up rejected President Trump's claims. And then they bought on Ivanka Trump and she said that she accepted the views of Bill Barr. And then today, Donald Trump says, well, you know, Ivanka was checked out and Bill Barr sucks, basically. Yeah. Ivanka is checked out. At yeah. That point. Yeah. And, and so. Didn't fire her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the thing about having family in business. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. We got uh, we got one weird story coming up. Yep. Right. OK. We're going to we're going to break down a weird story when we come back. Welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. I feel weird. I didn't play Buster Rhymes there. I didn't throw it in there. Yeah, I'm all thrown off now. So Friday news dumps include Michael Gableman, 2020 election investigator in the for Republicans in Wisconsin. That's a news dump. Uh, another one, Tim Michaels, going to stay on the ballot. He's good to go. He's At he's, least until the 12 court challenges that occur. Now, if it was a Republican side of this, would we just send it straight to the Wisconsin Supreme Court? We would skip all the other courts? Well, that's what certainly the intent would be right you go to the court where you think you're going to win yeah so we're not going to do that here though um all right so is there whether were there other news dumps was there any january 6th committee news dumps well the, the ivanka one is the kind news of dump that i wonder that that i was kind of joking with with a colleague about was these uh members of congress who apparently asked for pardons related to january 6th from President Trump. They wanted pardons from President Trump. Now, we don't know exactly what those pardons were for. Yeah. And no one actually got one of these pardons, an elected official, but... The pre-pardons, right? The Can pre-pardons. you pardon me before, because I might get the thing later, pre-pardons? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can kind of do that. You can say, well, you did something. You haven't been charged for it yet. But if you are charged for it, you're good. Yeah, it's you're like pardoned. a it's the it's the monopoly get out of jail free card, right? That's what Gerald He's, Ford did with Richard Nixon. Now, yeah. Richard Nixon had never been charged criminally for anything with Watergate, yeah. but Ford basically said, "Well, he cannot be charged because I'm pardoning him." Yeah, pre pardons so yeah, funny. Pre-pardon. We we need to get rid of pre pardons and lame duck pardons and may, may, maybe a lot of lame duck things. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, Disneyland in Paris, dude dude walks up on the steps, proposes to his fiance. No, proposes to his girlfriend. Yeah. And then what happens? And then the interception of the century by Mr. Buzzkill, the Disneyland employee. Like, y'all have to look up this video online. The Disneyland employee sees this proposal occurring. It must have been in some... They they must have passed the police barricade. Yeah, they must... (laughs) It must be in the non-proposal area of the Disneyland amusement park yeah, there in Paris. Because it's picturesque, right? Like the castles in the background. It's the you proposed place to your, for a proposal. Uh, how many how many girlfriends out there grew up Disney lovers and would love to have been proposed to on the steps and like, at Disneyland? I proposed to my now wife in our uh, one bedroom apartment in North Carolina. Like she would have probably way preferred to have the proposal at Disneyland in Paris. But you had like the the crab singing and Little Mermaid in the background. That's true. You know, That's under true. the sea. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so I love I love that this guy just saw this proposal, this picturesque marriage proposal, and decided this cannot stand. I have to. And he literally grabs the ring out of the hand. <laughs> 
of the proposer and whisks them off the stage and says, no, 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 no. And I can't do a French it would have been accent, a, It would have been a great, it would have been great if it was a Disney employee that was dressed up as a villain. <laughs> that would have been the perfect thing. All right, real quick, uh, before we go, we got less than a minute here. Uh, Punchbowl News, you, sh- you sent me this tweet. Yeah, they're we, legit. We argued this uh, on Monday or Tuesday this week. I didn't argue it, but the, uh, you know, I'm lambasting the government for letting the free school lunch program die. And it looks like they're negotiating, House Democrats negotiating $3 billion deal. Yeah. Does it get through the Senate? You, you know, I think it'll have to be packaged with other things in the Senate. Uh, I'm not sure if this proposal on its own can stand. Isn't that but, weird? Yeah, I know. It's weird. What if right? we packaged it with some gun legislation? <laughs> it's funny and not, right? Like, not funny at all. I, I think something's going to get done with school meals. I, I, I really do. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at aroundrivercity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts.